This episode of Futurismo is brought to you by TradeRev. Change the way you buy and sell cars. TradeRev gives dealers the power to launch trades into one-hour live auctions right from their smartphone. Move your metal faster at TradeRev.com Futurismo. Hey everybody, this is Futurismo, your podcast on tomorrow's cars. I'm Shiraz Ahmed. I'm Hannah Letts. And I'm Sharon Carty. This season, we're looking at how the race to build the self-driving car is fundamentally changing the auto industry. Last time, we took you to Austin, Texas for South by Southwest's Accelerator Pitch Competition. Today, we're continuing our exploration there. Here's Sharon and I chatting about a panel we both sat in on, covering artificial intelligence and its role in the auto industry. One thing I took away from uh, one panel I went to about humanizing autonomy that had Daimler's futurist on it, I'm blanking on his name, but I'll look it up later and mention it, was that to advance some of this technology, you can't just rely on, say, an, an engineer with a machine learning degree. You need this kind of interdisciplinary approach uh, where he... And, and others on this panel will go to these kind of huge arts festivals and stuff and just look for kind of out there thinkers who can contribute to their understanding of how to build these uh, models of artificial intelligence that will eventually power cars, which I thought was really interesting. He's like, yeah, I want some either good art in the room or artists there to challenge my thinking. Yeah, that is really interesting. Yeah, you know, and I think you and I were in on the same one where they were hu- talking about humanizing autonomy, right? Where they're talking about the robots and sort of making them um, interactive, and there was some discussion of cars. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a good chance that the auto industry still manages to mess this up, right? So some of the it, some of the images that were brought up in that were of people just not really interacting with their car, kind of relaxing and doing something else. But from everything that we've seen and how people really like to interact with their devices, right? And so in order to make that really work well, like you're going to have to have the car, you know, kind of be a buddy, <laughs> you know, and be cute even. Or So it's neat. It's just the whole thing is really neat. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> One of the other panelists who spoke, Maya Pindeus, a young tech executive, is working on the exact problem of how people will interact with self-driving cars. She's exactly the type of new blood in the industry that Daimler's futurist Alexander Minkowski, who I mentioned but forgot the name, talked about. She met Minkowski at a festival in Austria called Ars Electronica that explores the intersection of arts, tech, and society. Her company, Humanizing Autonomy, which confusingly shares its name with the panel we were talking about, is now working with Daimler on human-machine interaction in relation to autonomous cars. I wanted to get her perspective. What fascinates you about AI and what's the potential you see for it? Well, I see AI as something that can really enhance our capabilities, like just help essentially, right, to make us... Like, the use of technology is just like an extended arm of ours. This is Maya. And if we see as AI something like that, and I think it can be great. It can do amazing things. Um, and so I think we really need to understand and decide whether we even need something like a generalist AI, AI that does it all and knows it all, or whether it's just important to have it really work really well for a specific, like, use case, right? Um, so it 
we can really benefit from it. And I think this will mitigate the risk of like the bad AI um, scenarios, dystopian scenarios that are yeah, circulating around. Right, yeah. You don't want to give any, any specific artificial intelligence too much power or leeway or something. Well, someone has to, you know, the human needs to be in the loop. But that is up to us to design artificial intelligence so that the human is in the loop, right? Coming up, we'll hear my whole conversation with Maya Pindeus, the 27-year-old CEO of an AI company cracking the auto industry. We'll talk about how she went from architecture to AI to autonomous cars, and what a transportation system without human-centered design could look like. That's ahead, after the break. MotorWorks Auto Group lists an astounding 85% of vehicles on TradeRev instead of a physical auction. Listen to MotorWorks General Manager Chris Lima and his team explain why using TradeRev is the right move for their company. My name is Chris Lima and we're here at MotorWorks Automotive Group. We were approached by TradeRev. They said, hey, we want you to try this new thing out. What do you do when you sell 1,200 cars a month and take another six, 700 cars on trade? It's an in-house auction that you guys would shoot the cars at your store. You wouldn't have to worry about the transportation of trucking them there. The fees are much cheaper. We'll come out and shoot and do everything for you, make it a very easy process. When it was introduced to us, we were like, okay, let's at least listen what they have to say. It's been great to be able to have this on-site auction with very little work to liquidate um, our wholesale inventory. We used to uh, send most of our cars to the auction, but now we're probably 85 to 90 percent solely on Trade Rev because we've done so well with it. I think Trade Rev uh, not only played a part in the growth of our of our business, but certainly in the profitability and the bottom line of our business. Move your metal faster at traderev.com slash futurismo. You're back with Futurismo. So just to start off, can you just introduce yourself and say who you are and what you do? Yeah, so my name is Maya. I'm CEO of Humanizing Autonomy. And what we do is we develop natural interactions with autonomous systems which means that we're really interested in if an autonomous car is supposed to be a widespread and work in complex and very different urban environments, such as our cities, for instance, it really needs to be able to understand how humans work. It needs to be able to adapt to humans, which is why we founded this company and we um, are building a platform that allows a self-driving car to understand and predict human intent. So you, your, your background isn't automotive, right? Though it's in, the, it's in artificial intelligence? Not at all. I have um, quite an interdisciplinary background. I'm originally an architect, um, then turned uh, interaction designer, industrial designer, and then added an engineering degree to it. So I think it's very much an uh, interdisciplinary background. And it's quite nice. You know, architecture gives me like the, the larger scale, like the urban scale. So we're operating on an urban scale if we're working with cars, right? So it's all about cities. It's all about huge landscapes. And then you have the interaction design, which is, well, machines and humans, how do they interact? How do they relate to each other? 
And autonomous cars are essentially robots, but robots in the wild, robots in the yeah, urban environment. So how did you find your way to, to artificial intelligence or to the, the particular field you're looking at now? Well, I really were really fascinated, I always was, about like how machines and humans interact right, in various fields. And how do you create this interface? And so I've been doing a lot of projects around um, human-machine interfaces and human-machine experience. And then I found this really cool guy I founded a company with at Imperial College while we're doing our degrees there. And we started with this like common cause, like how do you create natural interactions in an urban environment? And how, what does it mean in the age of autonomy and in the age of artificial intelligence? And we really started from a human-centered perspective. We started interviewing people, observing, and understanding that human-to-human -human communication is so important, even in AI. And so we started digging deeper. And because my co-founders have like um, much more deep tech um, backgrounds than I do. And so we got this really nice interdisciplinary team together. So how did you uh, how did you make your way into applying this uh, philosophy and thinking in the automotive context to self-driving cars? So uh, my co-founders and I built a first prototype, a demonstration, which was basically we trained a little um, London-based data set. And we created this demonstrator that allows you to communicate with the car and allows the car to communicate back, essentially through uh, gestures. So you would make like, different gestures and movements to the vehicle. The vehicle would understand whether you want to cross, whether you don't want to cross. So we built the AI side of things, but then we also built the interface. So we mounted it on a vehicle and we made an exhibition piece um, as well. So this was traveling around to exhibitions and kind of also addressing the general public and not just the deep tech um, clientele, if you will. Um, and that was quite cool, you know, and we saw the re instant response from people and also from the automotive industry and started thinking deeper about this and like it's just a fundamental need for any autom autonomous car to be able to understand humans because otherwise yeah it won't work what are you afraid of if uh say we deployed self-driving cars as we have them now today where they don't have this sort of human machine interaction designed for just pedestrians really a lot of it's just built on the car understanding the environment around it through sensing. What, what, what's, what could go wrong? Well, so much. Um, one thing is, you know, if you separate machine and people completely, right? So the one way you could do it would be saying, okay, people shouldn't interact with self-driving cars at all. So we just build more highways and more completely uh, robo-lanes, if you will. So like the whole way of how cities function, that could change completely, right? Um, and I think that's quite dangerous as well, you know? If you think about how quickly infrastructure evolved, like take Texas, for instance, like Houston, massive car city, right? Or Detroit. Um, and it's built around the vehicle. It's not built around the person. Versus like cities like in Europe are built around people because they're so much older, you know? But it's also nice to live in a place that is built for people. And I think we should maintain that and, and AI should cater for that. In, in this podcast, we've talked about a little bit about the challenges that we face with autonomous cars that can't communicate clear messages to, to pedestrians the way we do now as drivers. Uh, you, you showed a really interesting video demonstrating all of the data that, uh, that a car can use to analyze and predict a person's behavior. Can you talk about some of how that, some of the science behind that and, and how it works? Yeah, sure. So we're working, uh, we're developing a context and culture specific 
human intent prediction platform, right? So if you think about, um, there's no one size fits all, right? It's not like people behave very differently in different places, whether it's different cities, different countries, even places within a city. And an autonomous vehicle is to be able to understand that. So our approach to AI and to deep tech in this way is that we take the contextual elements and the cultural specificities of people's behaviors into account. So a big part of our uh, tech development is developing behavioral models and understanding how people are likely to behave in different contexts and feeding an algorithms with that. We think this will be crucial if we want the autonomous car to work in Detroit, in Vienna, or in China, in Shanghai, you know? Cities are very different. Right, yeah. Imagine at a certain point you'll be able to take cultural data of how how meek a society is versus how likely, like in some in some cities, you should, people are just more, much more likely to jaywalk, right? Rather than others where they might, like in Houston, you never jaywalk because you'll get run yeah. over. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's like, like just, so I'm from Vienna, um, live in London and travel a lot to Germany for work. And already there, and it's within Europe, it's like two hour flights. You have like huge differences. The ways I would behave in London, I would never do in Vienna and vice versa, you know? Um, so it's quite interesting because there still is a commonality about how people behave, right? So there's a underlying pattern, but then there's the special behaviors that we adapt to when in a different place. So the way we approach it is saying, well, we develop a product that can be tuned to different environments and two different contexts, which is where our discontextual analysis approach really helps us to develop that. So right now, when we talk about artificial intelligence, uh, in the car and in other areas, but especially in the car, we're mostly talking about deep learning, right? Uh, feeding as much data about the external environment into a car so it can learn from all these sta- like stacks and kind of figure out and extrapolate from there. Is that a limited sense of what artificial intelligence can be? Well, I think so. Because if you think of deep learning or any, or any machine learning, as you feed it data and then you let the system come up with predictions in a way. I think artificial intelligence can be so much better if we take into account um, other types of data or like really just more human layers. So like our approach, for instance, is like the whole like uh, obser- like understanding and observing how people behave and feeding this into AI and improving our models with that. But then there's um, really understanding how people behave and using that as data input, I think is a great opportunity to to avoid those limitations to make AI better. So. Do you only get that, that data through observation? If we think about how a driver um, reacts to um, any safety concerns or a pedestrian jumping from the street, it's like a split-second reaction. And it's almost like a type of probability as well. You see something, and you're like, oh, wait, this is going to happen. I'm going to react to that. So in a way, it's about what we know and understand about the context, about the environment in which things are happening and what we observe. And those are the factors that we need to bring into our AI, you know, be able to hu- predict this type of human behavior that we're tackling. Why, why did you pick automotive? It seems like one of the hardest fields to be a startup in. Well, you know, think about it. If you have a really bad day, you might not interact with any human because you just don't feel like it. But is there any day you don't interact with a car? <laughs> yeah, it's true. That's true. Even if you don't want to, you're forced to. Yeah. Yeah. That's why. Yeah, there's the most opportunity. I get it. Very cool. Man, you can move on to like coffee machines next. Or <laughs> <laughs> First the card and the coffee right, machine. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. I think we're great here. Thank you so much awesome. for, for chatting. <laughs>
One of my big takeaways from chatting with Maya is that while she and her company are bringing something new and fresh to the table, ideas and backgrounds that you wouldn't have found in your typical car maker just 10 years ago, the fact that she found her way in so quickly speaks to how fast the industry is picking up on these changes. Next time, we'll go to the crossroads of where self-driving cars hit the pavement and hear how some companies can tackle bringing innovation in-house. Autonomous it, driving. It's really a matter of understanding. Yeah. <laughs> in case you weren't sure. In case you, <laughs> that, you know, that actually sounded a little bit foreboding. Futurismo is a production of Automotive News, brought to you by the team behind Shift, our new magazine on tomorrow's transportation. Guess what? The first issue of Shift is live Monday, May 28th. Go to autonews.com slash shift to read an interview with EV designer Henrik Fisker, stories on an industry grappling with massive change, and see some wacky patents as well. That's all at autonews.com slash shift. And drop us an email on what you want to hear on Futurismo. Shoot us a love letter at futurismo at autonews.com. I'm Shiraz Amad, your Sherpa on this trek into the future, and I'll chat with you next time on Futurismo. Futurismo.